Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. Hear these words. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not regretfully or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God, who is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives power. He scatters abroad, he gives to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you will glorify God in your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ, and by the generosity of your partnership with them and with all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. Thanks be to God for this incredible, describable. May God grant us understanding of these words this day. So today we begin some, to do something new, something different, and that is we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about stewardship. Now I have to tell you that as a pastor, when it comes time to talk about stewardship, we kind of shake in our boots. You know, to come and talk to a congregation of givers about giving is, is one of those things that, that, you know, kind of makes us a little nervous. But I think that it's an important place to visit each year, especially now for us as we begin to, to look at budget, as we begin to look at um, calling a permanent pastor, um, as we begin to look at what the future might look like, as we begin to look at what life will be like when the apartments are finished. You know, we are stewards of everything around us. And so... Um, the question that I ask at the beginning here is, what exactly is stewardship? And when I looked it up, it said, the job of supervising or taking care of something. The careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Now, often in churches, we only think of stewardship as one thing, and that's money. And to be sure, churches need money. But it seems to me that this is asking us to care for something much broader than money. It's asking us to, to look at all of our resources and all the resources around us. For example, I would list on those resources creation. How do we care for our planet? How do we care for our building? How do we care for our community? How do we care for our neighbors? All of those things, I think, would fall under the umbrella of stewardship. Would you agree with me there? 
that there, it's more. It's more than just money. And money is important to be sure. Here's a few things that I came across when I kind of Googled in the, some of my Christian resources about, um, about what stewardship was and, and see if you can resonate with any of them. Um, so the first one is living and telling the good news is good stewardship. Sharing God in, in seeking justice and peace and the integrity of creation in an interdependent universe. Wisely employing God-given human resources, abilities, and relationships. Sharing the material resources we hold and giving them in service, justice, and compassion. Providing for future generations. Sharing in the life of in the life, worship, and responsible stewardship of the church and of the church's mission. And then the last one is both for the individual and for the community. Stewardship is a joyful act for the sake of God's world. Wow. Have you ever thought of stewardship as being a joyful act? So it's this time of year when churches often talk about stewardship. Um, and as I said before, it's about the time we begin looking at budget. And I believe that looking at budget and projecting what, what resources we have is important. I'm not saying it's not. Um, I don't think, though, it's the only reason that we should look at stewardship. And, and I think that sometimes only holding, you know, a, a number of weeks in the fall is, is kind of selling us short. Because I think that stewardship and what we do with the resources given to us is a year-round thing, not just those few weeks in the fall when we begin to look at budget. Um, and here's another thing that I want to talk to you about, and that is often when we begin to look at budget, whether it's our, the budget of the church or our own budget, we often look at it with eyes that are attuned to scarcity. It's almost like we have these scarcity glasses on and we're looking at what we lack. You know, and I know that I've done that myself. Okay, so I only have X amount of dollars to get through to payday, and I'm not saying I have X amount of dollars to get through payday. I met a, a couple um, years ago that uh, they kept a chalkboard in their kitchen that said how much money they had left until, until payday and what, when payday was. And so and every time they spent any money, they changed that amount. And, and I thought, wow, that's kind of over the top. But, you know, they always knew what they had. And they never looked at it as not enough. It's what they had. And I think that there's some precedent in that as we look at Scripture. You know, when we're looking at, say, the, the, the feeding of the 5,000, and Jesus asked his disciples a question, in one of the accounts of that, he asked them what they have. What do you have? And they said, only, only, Two or five loaves and a few fish, or five loaves and two fish, depending which one you're looking at. And, and, you know, if we kind of get a clue, if we 
can wrap our minds around that rather than looking at that only, if we can look at this is what we have. They have five loaves and two fish. And we know that in that instance, that was enough. Now, there's a lot of theories of what happened there. You know, maybe everyone got the bug to share or, or you know, something like that. But the reality was that's what they had. So when we look at stewardship, whether it's money or other resources, I think that's the first question we have to ask. What do we have? And take those scarcity glasses off. And look at it in a new way. Now, so if I asked you, when was the very first time you ever became aware of scarcity? When was it that you ever felt like you didn't have enough? You know, and I'm guessing for some of us, that was pretty early in our lives. When I was seven, my birth dad left. Um, Mom had two young children still at home and one high schooler, and he cleaned out the bank accounts when he left, and we had nothing. And we had to move, <laughs> move into subsidized housing, kind of that place in town where everyone looked down on everyone that lived there. And we had to move there because we couldn't afford the place we were living. And, and I remember thinking, this must be like, this must be what it's like to be poor. And so I remember thinking, so that was my first, first kind of idea. I was seven, and I got this idea that, that some people were poor, and we were one of them, families, one of the families that were poor. And so we, for you, it might be something else. We begin in our culture to get this idea that, that scarcity is what we're looking at. Those are the glasses we're wearing. These are the things we're looking at. I mean, when we look at, at church, for example, often we're looking at um, how many people are sitting in the pews, not appreciating the people that are sitting in the pews, but we're looking at the people that could be there, or we think should be there, or ought to be there instead of rejoicing that we're here. How many of you are glad to be here today? You know, I'm really glad to be here today. And yes, it would be wonderful if every chair in this place were full. But it's not necessary to live in abundance to have every chair full. Abundance is a different pair of glasses that we can put on. Generosity is a different pair of glasses that we can put on. So that whole scarcity piece comes up. Now, what if I asked you, when is the first time that you were aware, consciously, of generosity? And what did that look like? What did that feel like? You know, I thought, I thought long and hard of kind of go, as I'm driving along back from Cali and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, what, um, well, when was the first time that I realized that someone around me lived out of the place of generosity? You know, that, that memory I have of moving into subsidized housing has a memory attached to it that I would call a memory of generosity. You know, my mom had this kind of 
of home, you know, even though we didn't have a lot, she had this kind of home where if someone showed up, they got fed. If she had to add another potato or two to the soup or stew, she did, and everyone got fed. And as I'm looking back at that, and I'm looking back at my mom, who, by the way, is 94 years old now, I'm looking back at mom, and I realize that she, she lived her life in that place of generosity. Because she never looked at it at a place of scarcity. That we may have lacked money, or designer jeans. I remember in high school I wanted a pair. And I babysat and worked until I got them. And then they weren't so wonderful after that. But, you know, I, when I look at my mom's life, I look at that life of generosity. When I look at other people, I look at lives of generosity. You know what? When I look at this congregation, I see a story of generosity. I do. The stories that I've heard, I've been with you a year ago, last August 1st. And I've heard story after story after story of the generosity of this congregation. You know, as I'm, I'm hearing stories about Scott Jensen and, and the things that he, parts he was of the church. When I look at, at Betty and Bev and Bev and Laura and Joe and Stephen, Tiffany and Justin, and I look at Tom, and I look at Brenda, and I see with these eyes that talk about generosity, oh my goodness, I look back there and I see the outdoor pantry and I see generosity. And if I open that door, what do I see? Generosity. And as I look at the, the, the history of this congregation, and I ask you to, and if I ask you to name the people from the past who had generous spirits, I'm guessing you could name a whole bunch. A whole bunch. So one of the things stepping into an idea of looking at stewardship is that appreciation that comes from the generosity that is in your very DNA. It is. It's in the paint on the walls. It's in the wood that makes the pillars around us. It's in that sound booth back there where Justin is. Because I know for a fact that there are people who join us online that wouldn't be able to come back to church. And that can join us in a way that allows them to be, continue being a part of our community. Do you realize how generous that is? That we provide that. And so those are, are some things, you know, when we're looking at the stewardship time, we're looking at scarcity and generosity and abundance. Stephen made a waterfall back here because the, the kind of the overarching theme of this is that of, of overwhelming abundance. And I want you to, to kind of take notice that we'll change out the, the waterfall that's on your bulletin each week because, um, because our understanding and the ways that we look at stewardship will change.
So as we begin to look at this first scripture in this series, we need to understand something about the context in which it, it's written. So just kind of a recap on that. Paul has been talking to the Corinthians about the Jerusalem collection. The church in Jerusalem was extremely poor and plagued by famine and persecution. So over a five-year period, Paul organized relief for them from the churches all around um, Asia and Galatia and Macedonia. So he's arranging these things. Um, Paul's motivation for this was to care for the poor in Jerusalem. And it would also make sure that, you know, kind of a secondary thing would be that Paul would begin to build this bridge between the Jews and the, the Gentiles in encouraging giving from all that he talked to. It wasn't just the Jews that would give this offering, it was also the Gentiles. And so there was this bridge that took people with differences who had some something to work toward. And, and this was this offering that was in Jerusalem. Um, and he's, he's reminding them that they, that they are equipped, that they need to get ready, though, to give this offering. And, you know, there's a lot of things in, like, the first five verses of this chapter that talk about that preparation. Um, he talks about them making a pledge, and he doesn't want them to be embarrassed. In this culture, if you gave your oath on something and you didn't follow through, that was a shameful thing. And so he's reminding them that he believes in them, that they can do this thing, and that this thing that they've said they've done and they can live with integrity in that pledge. That's really where, where Paul is coming from. Um, he's encouraged them to finish the work that they started. But then, you know, he takes it kind of a different way. Now remember, Paul liked to write with with metaphors and things that the people that he was writing to would understand. And he uses this kind of farming metaphor for that, um, you know, with the sower and sowing the seed. He uses that. And they would totally get that more than we would in our context. Although I think that we can understand it. Um, he talks about if someone sows sparingly, that they'll reap sparingly. If they so bountifully, they reap bountifully. Okay, so if you go into a farmer's field and they, and the, what is that machine? The one that spreads the seed is not working right. You might have a place that, that the seed doesn't grow very well. And so that's kind of what he's talking about. He's talking about if you have, if you have things that you can share, share them and share them willingly and cheerfully and abundantly, because though that will make sure that there is the biggest harvest ever. Now, he's not talking about if we share what we have, that'll bring a ton of people into church. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about if we have the integrity and the, the love to share that love with others, then there will be growth within the kingdom of God. Okay, so let me unpack that a little bit. The growth that they're talking about is the growth in love. 
Betty, let me ask you this. When you have been out here on a Wednesday afternoon, Bev, you could probably answer this too, and Laura, you as well. When you're out here and and you run into some of our neighbors and you give them a, a sack lunch or something else and um, and have a kind word from them for them, what normally happens? They're very grateful and often it makes their day, which in turn they leave this place and go, maybe make someone else's day. You see how that keeps working? That the things that we do, the reasons that we give to others isn't for benefit for us. And, and you know, that that's something that Paul isn't meaning here. It's not prosperity gospel. It's not, it's not the little old lady sitting in front of her TV who sees that telemarketer who, or televangelist who says, you know, send me $500 and, and you'll receive 3000 at the end of the week. It's not that kind of thing. It's not talking about that. And I think that, that it's saying to give what you can. And I will tell you that it's not just your money, but it's your time and your talents and your prayers. Because we all can't do the same thing. You know, there are times in my life when I've had the the money to give uh, generously and there's other times in my life when that hasn't happened and there were times when we were the recipients I'm thinking when husband David was a brand new pastor and we had very little at home and and there was this woman by the name of Faye Ellen who brought us three dozen eggs from her chickens every week little did she know we ate eggs a lot because that's what we had. So there were times when I had to be a recipient of that care and there were times that I could give. And so that's all part of that, that cycle. But you know what? Those times that I was a recipient of that care are what motivate me to give of myself now. Which helps me pour out my time and talent that helps me pour out my money, that helps me see that person that I would never normally give my money to, that God gives me this little kick and said, she needs $5. Or the day that I'm, I'm at the grocery store and I'm seeing this woman in front of me who's trying to buy a birthday cake and balloons and things for her little son's birthday and she doesn't have enough money and she's figuring out what she can put back. And the, the clerk is getting more and more and more upset and about this time and I'm, I'm watching and I walk up and I pay for that birthday party for that little boy. And that mama cried because she just saw from me love and not judgment. Stewardship is about that as well. It's about giving love right alongside the giving of our resources. Not because we will get back. Not because of that. Not because we would get rich 
because we give someone something. That never made any sense to me. Maybe because there was a time in my life I grew up poor. But I don't see it that way. So then as we look kind of at this beginning of, of this stewardship series, there are a couple questions that I have for you. Something that you'll contemplate, something that you don't, you know, you don't need to, to answer today. Let me ask you, what does it mean to have all you need? What does that mean? How do you define all you need? Paul uses the word um, sufficient. And I think there's a little play on words here for Paul. Because he's not talking about sufficient only to one. He's talking about sufficient for the community. So, for example, let's say there's a couple and they, they live off the grid and they have everything they need for them. They're, you know, they grow their own food. They do all that stuff. And then they're just this little island all by themselves. That's not a bad thing. But Paul would say... That's not enough. Enough is when you're working for the greater good. That Paul would say that. So only you can decide what your generosity piece is. That I can't tell you that, that you need to be generous in a certain way. However, I can invite you to work for good alongside God, who is working for good. And what that looks like is between you and God. It's not up to me. And at the same time, we remember that we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us, those who had a dream for this congregation, those who had a dream for our community, those who had a dream for our city and our state and our, our nation, our world, a dream for the good of all. I think we forget that piece. I for, we forget that the dream needs to be for good. God works for good in all circumstances and invites us right along on that. So we have kind of this challenge as we look at these three weeks, and that is to look at what you have. What do we have as a church? And then also to invest the resources that we have wisely. And that's people resources as well as monetary resources. And there's nothing that I can say that will tell you exactly what that is because I don't know. I don't know. But collectively, we can figure that out. Because here's the deal. Everything we do as a church is seen by the people out there. Everything that we do by, as a church is seen by the people out there. And I really hope that everything we do shows them Jesus.
that we are the hands and the feet. That we are Jesus. That we can share what we have. We continue to share what we have. We have a legacy of sharing. And to step into that, I'm so excited for your new pastor to come after the first of the year when we decide what that's going to look like, that your new pastor will get to know you the way I've gotten to know you. That your new pastor will get to love you the way I've gotten to love you. And I know I came in as a short-timer, but you all I have to know that I leave my heart behind every time that I step out of one of these interim positions. I leave my heart behind. And I continue to pray for you for a year after I leave. So we need to take those scarcity glasses. Put them on the ground and stomp on them if you have to. Because it's really easy to pick them back up. Take those scarcity glasses off. Put on those glasses that show generosity and abundance. And enough. And wear those glasses as we contemplate a future where the kingdom of God is here and now. Because love is here and now. So my friends, what do you have? And what are you going to do with it? Gracious God, take away our bent on seeing what we lack. And help us to see what we have. And help us to understand where it all came from. May we, on this Sunday after All Saints Day, share our gratitude for those who came before. Amen.